and welcome into the drinking podcast. Quinn and Andrew is away this week. I have run of the castle. Uh, special guest Gus is going to be our co-host. You may remember him from a couple weeks ago in our sour episode. Uh, how are you doing, Gus? Oh, I'm doing well, Quinn. I'm doing well. I've uh, I've got a, a beer here that I'm excited to share about my cooking ideas with and uh, excited for this episode today. That sounds great. And this week we're joined by special guest Ryan, and we're going to be discussing cooking with beer in our mini beeries. Ryan, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for being here. How are you doing today, Ryan? Not too bad. You know, the weather finally turned uh, quite gorgeous here in St. Cloud, Minnesota, and I got to start the day off uh, going to pick up my daughter from my parents. They were watching her for me yesterday as I got together with some friends. Uh, we were enjoying some craft beer uh, from both Minnesota and other places around the country and just doing some sampling and had a little fire. And um, so got to hang out with my daughter today. And then now I'm here to talk about cooking with beer, which is definitely something that I love to do. So I'm excited. Good deal. Um, so like we do every week, we're going to start off with what are we drinking? And I'm going to turn that over to Gus to start. Gus, what you got this week? All right. So uh, <laughs> when you came to me with the, with the idea of this episode, I was scouring around my fridge trying to figure out uh, what would best represent the way that I like to cook with beer. Uh, and I found a beer from a brewery whose beers I've used in multiple recipes. Um, they are uh, called Hammerheart Brewing Company out of Lionel Lakes, Minnesota. Uh, I love Hammerheart. <laughs> Hammerheart, for those who are not aware, um, is are a brewery where the way I describe them to people is: imagine if someone took your beer and treated it like scotch. And gave it back to you after they had smoked it and aged it like a scotch. And this one in particular uh, is Suter's Flame. Uh, that's uh, S-U-R-T-R. Um, and this is a smoked IPA um, that is smoked with beechwood and cherrywood smoked malt. Wow. Ooh. It is very tasty, and I'm going to be talking a little bit later in this episode about how uh, I like to be putting how I like to put this in uh, in beer cheese. So, what are some of the notes you get off that from tasting it? So, on the nose, you get very resiny, piney, um, you know, classic style IPA. This is not going to be. Uh, an IPA where it's going to be citrusy or unfiltered uh, or hazy in that sense. Uh, instead, it's going to be much more like uh, what some would call a West Coast IPA. Uh, it's going to be much more on the bitter side. Tasting it here. Mm. Oh, God, I love this is one of my favorite IPAs that I've ever had. And part of the reason why is the smoke on it kind of dances on top in the mid palate uh, and very much um, will linger there, but not overpower. 
and it lets the malt do some of the talking for most of the taste ride in there. And uh, you also get a little bit of uh, a little bit of stone fruit towards like the very, very end, uh, just from the, the cherry wood um, kind of getting a little bit of that kind of that sweeter taste of that smoked wood off that. Yeah, I've always that been a fan incredible. of. That does sound really good. I've always been a fan of uh, Hammerheart's beers, just because I think they play around with theirs a lot more than some other breweries. It feels, and I always like what they do with it. I had a uh, a dark juniper beer a while back. I can't remember the light the name of it for the life of me. But immigration. I think Which that's one? immigration. I'm pretty sure I have it in my fridge. Okay. It's an amber ale that is, is with, smoked in with juniper berries, right? No, it was uh, like, it was either a stout or a black ale. Oh, okay. I think it was a limited edition one that they did. Um, but I have had that one that you're talking about, and that is delicious. <laughs> uh, so, yeah. Ryan, what are, what are you having this week? Yeah, well, um, so in... <laughs> uh true mustache tradition i decided to break from the norm and i'm actually not drinking beer um i decided to play around with a cocktail and i wanted to do something fun that was also somewhat food related so i picked a bloody mary but i decided to call it the fat tuesday and uh <laughs> basically i um <laughs> Tried to play on jambalaya, and so um, I started by taking some raw shrimp and doing ceviche to bring the the lime juice into the shrimp and also cook it so that it was safe to consume. And I took some bell peppers and onion, jalapeno, and some andouille sausage and a tomato to make my garnish. Um, so unlike your traditional Bloody Mary that's going to have your cheese cube and a beef stick, um, and celery, you know, I kind of played with the, a lot of those flavors that you would find in your traditional traditional jambalaya. Um, and then uh, I decided, you know, Bloody Marys aren't really something that I've enjoyed in the past. And I think I just kind of assumed it was because the ingredients that were being used were pretty low grade, you know, like V8 juice and probably, I don't know, Taka. <laughs> for vodka or something like that so um i decided to treat myself i went uh, a little more upscale with all my ingredients um so i started with kettle one vodka um which okay. is just smooth on its own yeah. um and then i picked up a prefab bloody mary mix from sucker punch um which i know is something that my girlfriend really likes in her bloody marys and so i figured if i was going to do something a little more upscale i would pick a gourmet Bloody Mary mix. Um, and then I wanted to try and make this something that anyone at home could reproduce. So I didn't make my own Creole seasoning or, you know, my own mix. I wanted it to be something someone could actually go out and get if they wanted to give it a try. So I grabbed some Zatarain's uh, Creole seasoning and mixed that in to my cocktail, stirred it around and then rolled it between a couple of glasses with ice. Um, and then, uh, rimmed my cup with a little bit of that Zatarain's as well, and then poured my cocktail into it. And then I top it off with just a little bit of pickle juice. Uh, and I chose Famous Dave's Signature Spicy Pickles because I thought that would bring a little bit of bite 
um, along with that pickle juice in there. So definitely not um, a beer night for me, but you know what? I thought we're talking food and it would be fun to play on it. So I think that's really cool because I can see a lot of like your background in there with the the famous Dave's pickle from your, your time kind of starting in the restaurant industry at famous Dave's your time as a bartender with how you rolled the the drink back and forth. And then clearly with your time being a, a wizard of the kitchen um, with making it that, that jambalaya essentially topping to it. I, I think that's really cool. Yeah. And I mean, my first impression, again, for someone who doesn't really like Bloody Marys, um, I really like what the Creole seasoning is bringing into this mixture. Um, again, also using higher quality ingredients, I think is definitely the, you know, the key to success here. Um, it's a lot less watery tomato and it, it's got substance behind it in this Bloody Mary mix from Sucker Punch. And then, yeah, like you said, um, you know, it, it is a fairly accurate homage to my cooking career you know starting off not having cooked really at all even for my personal self till i got to famous daves and then you know the lifestyle kind of grabbed me and it was something that i knew that i wanted to do um for the foreseeable future if not the rest of my life and so i learned a lot working in a commercial kitchen there um but afterwards moved on to old capital tavern uh working in the kitchen and then towards the end of my time at old capital I'd open on Fridays and then get done, go home, shower, change, and come back and bar back for uh, Chris, who actually was on one of your episodes uh, a while back. Uh, so the two of us would bartend, and um, I learned a little bit of mixing, but uh, didn't do that long enough to call myself a real bartender, just someone who has an appreciation. Awesome. Now, uh, go on, Gus. Oh, I was just going to say, I, I'm. you shared pictures with us right before of this uh, Bloody Mary that you made. And, I mean, the pictures I don't even think would do this justice because this just looks absolutely delightful for our oh, viewers thank who you. can't see this. Uh, it is in a, uh, in a pint glass uh, and the rim of Zatarans around it. It's kind of got this nice uh, kind of dusty red hue to it. And then you got a long toothpick uh, with what looks like a cherry tomato, um, the ceviche shrimp, uh, looks like a little bit of cheese on there, some bell pepper. Um, just uh, looks as I'm usually not the biggest fan of Bloody Marys either, but I, I would even take a stab at that. That looks fantastic. Yeah, this Thank looks you. delicious to me, and I despise Bloody Marys. Um, <laughs> I'm not going to go so far as to say I will try it, just because it's going to be a waste of everything I put in the tomato juice. Um, for our listeners who know from the Bloody Mary episode, I have an aversion to this flavor of raw tomato, because for some reason it tastes like vinegar to me. But next time we play D&D in person, Ryan... I may, I may have to try one of these. That's a deal, Quinn. And well, and the reality of it is, if I try this again, um, I think I might actually start by making a jambalaya and mm -hmm. siphoning off some of that cooked um, liquid from the tomatoes and the seasonings and the peppers and all that stuff, and really bring that infusion into the cocktail. Um, but like I said, for this one, um, I didn't want to go too extensively into it i mean to ceviche shrimp you literally put shrimp in lime juice and let it sit um 
you know, I did six hours on this until I started to see a little bit of the coloration and the, the shrimp firm up a bit. Uh, but that's pretty much, you know, the most technical thing about this drink that I did. Um, but like you, um, you know, I do prefer my tomatoes cooked a bit more. And so I thought next time I try this, I'm going to actually make a vat of jambalaya and then give that a go and see if I can bring some of those other flavors that you find in that dish to the cocktail. I think that's a really good idea. That was actually going to be one of my questions I had for you until you had explained it was asking if you had, you know, cooked down your tomatoes at all to try and make that like more umami kind of taste to them, palatize more of the MSG in the tomato and just make it so goddamn delicious. Yeah. I mean, in my mind it works. Um, like I said, I just, I didn't want to go too crazy with it. I wanted it to be something that someone at home listening to this could run out and grab the key ingredients and give it a shot. If they go, you know what? I, you know, I really like, um, kind of Creole Southern, uh, style food. I love jambalaya. You know, I'm maybe you're in the same boat as, um, me where you don't really love a Bloody Mary, but you've kind of always hoped like I've ordered Bloody Marys probably a dozen times in my life. And I'll usually preface it with telling the bartender, I hate Bloody Marys. And if I don't like this, I'm still paying you for it. Uh, but this is one that I would actually drink. So what would you say the kind of flavor is on it with the Creole seasoning you put in there? You said it was Zatarain's, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so you get, um, you know, the kind of staple of Creole cooking with the chili peppers that are in there, a little paprika. I mean, it's heavy on the garlic. I can definitely taste that, but that's a key impo- uh, component in Bloody Mary mix as well. So I think it plays very nicely with the sucker punch. Um, and then, you know, obviously as I'm taking drinks and I have this garnish, um, up to my nose, I'm getting some of the hints of the citrus and the lime that's on the shrimp. Uh, I'm also getting the smell of, you know, freshly cut onion and a little bit of bell pepper. And so it's kind of playing around with those aromatics with my nose while I'm, you know, taking a sip of the cocktail. It's actually, it's, it's really nice. Awesome. That that sounds like something I'd I'd be willing to try. Uh, and Gus, your your view, you you gonna try this? Uh yes. I I will always try something once. So, dude, it, especially considering all the jambalaya aspects in here, which is a dish that I do like on its own, I definitely would be on board with this. Awesome. Glad I could inspire a little bit. And uh, if you guys do end up trying it, let me know what you think. And to our listeners, if you try this, all under 10 of you, uh, let us know what you think. What what would be some changes you would make? What are some changes you do make to it? Um, do you still keep in the Worcestershire from, you know, the normal Bloody Mary? Or, or do you throw that out the window as well? Um, so this week, I actually also kind of broke the beer trend. And uh, instead, I'm drinking mead. Big surprise. It's a, yeah. a stinger, just normal mead. Um, for for those who know me and long listeners of the podcast, I love mead. It, it is the only wine I know anything about. Uh, and, and stinger's one of those, you know, it's on probably the sweeter end. Um, it's still not so overly sweet, um, but it, it's definitely, you know, up there in sugar. Uh, but it, I'm drinking this night cause I, I feel like it fit in well with the, uh, cooking with beer. Um, it may not be beer, but this is actually 
a, a wine that I keep in my kitchen. I love using it to deglaze, especially with chicken and pork. Um, and I've actually even tried making a caramel out of it for like a savory caramel on pork. Interesting thing that needs work. I mean, you would think in, in theory, um, you know, with uh, honey being such a great natural sweetener, uh, that the the way that you're using it by deglazing your pan or, um, you know, using it to try and bring out the sugars and caramelize a little bit, I'm, you know, you're on the right track. Um, what what complications did you run into when you were trying to use it? Uh, so I, I went with more of like a, I, I use it frequently as like my deglaze and then I use that to thicken up and, and make my glaze. Um, but I decided to do the, like reduce in a pan, introduce a little bit of butter, and then whisk to thick. And it worked. Other than the fact that it was still a bit too much on the like sweet side. Um, and so since I was cooking for my wife and I, I know I could fix that with some heat. Uh, but my wife just doesn't do spice, unlike me. And uh, so I, I couldn't really put that in there. Uh, so I'm thinking, you know, with pork, maybe some cinnamon, a little bit of clove, and I'm thinking some Chinese five spice might be nice in there with a little bit of cardamom. And yeah, maybe, maybe even a little star anise, you know, yes. something to bring. Yeah, very cool. Um, but so taste on it, it's, I like it because it's crisp. It is a little bit sweeter um, in terms of meads for my taste. It's a, it's about as sweet as I like to go, uh, but at at the price of, I think it's $11 a bottle for a good mead, I can't complain because mead is generally a sadly more expensive wine because honey ain't cheap, especially as we deal with the, the shortage of bees. But you know what? At least you know when you buy mead, you're supporting people who keep bees and are keeping plant life alive. So, yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. And so that's going to bring us into our main topic for the week, which we touched on briefly, and that's cooking with beer. And the reason we have uh, our special guest Ryan on this week is not only is Ryan just a great chef, um, but he's like, I've seen him speak at the state fair at the, uh, the Minnesota state fair about using local ingredients. And, um, you know, he, he has a really good way of approaching ingredients that, I think respects each individual one that he puts in there where it, he's not trying to hide things. Um, and I think that is key when you're cooking with beer. So Ryan, um, I turn it over to you. Um, what are, what are just some like basic thoughts and then we'll get into our like more dialed in topic wise, but I'll turn it over to you for now. Sure. Sure. Well, thank you for the compliments. Uh, you know, being uh, in the industry that we're in, I think there's a lot of people who um, talk themselves up, but to, to have another uh, experienced chef speak highly of you, that's always um, one of the, the best compliments that you can get. And um, cooking at the State Fair was was absolutely amazing. I represented the, the restaurant that I'm currently at, Jules Bistro in St. Cloud, Minnesota. And we partner with a lot of local um, bakeries and dairy farms and 
Um, you know, we use as many local ingredients as we can, uh, especially when the season allows us to. And so one of our uh, partnerships was invited to go to the state fair and they asked this uh, company who they wanted to represent them and they picked us Jules. So um, got to go there and uh, we made a uh, dill pickle soup, which is something that in the area has uh, kind of taken off. Um, and admittedly, it wasn't even really my recipe um, or idea, I should say, you know, one of our servers said, Hey, someone who, you know, used to work here, used to make a dill pickle soup. Do you want me to get the recipe for you? And I said, no, I'll figure it out, but that's a really crazy idea. And so what I did was started with, um, you know, kind of the idea of uh, bacon and potato soup, uh, kind of a creamy soup, and then just played around with pickles and dill and the brine and the saltiness to balance out with some of the cream. And then also, um, you know, the the fat that you get with uh, cooking bacon in there. And so that's kind of... Um, the types of things that Quinn was referring to. We also uh, do several wine and beer uh, special events. So we'll have four or five courses with either wine or beer, and we'll try and pair dishes not only to the the beverage, but also um, the added challenge of how can we incorporate each one of those into the dish, whether or not it's uh, in the sauce or in the marinade or, um, you know, something that is uh, baked into the the dessert course or, or what have you. So we play a lot with pairings at Jules Bistro when we have those events and they're always super fun to do it. It really lets me uh, kind of stretch my creative wings when it comes to that. Um, and it's kind of the best part of the job. And like beer that brings people together it's allowed us to bring the community of st cloud together and kind of create some partnerships we had a beer tasting slash dinner um where we had sourced meats from a local butchery uh Manez, and then we had used some beers from a local brewery beaver island and representatives from both companies attended that dinner and in doing so, they actually struck up a partnership to make uh, Beaver Island beer brats. And so the simple um, event of bringing people together to pair up beer and food created a beautiful business partnership. So that's kind of uh, the really cool thing about my job is that I get to see those things unfold and, and watch people bond and grow together. Awesome. And uh, Gus, you've definitely had some experience cooking with beer as well. Am I right? Oh, yeah, absolutely. It is, uh, it is a favorite ingredient of mine to use when I can. Yeah, beer is it's just so good. I, mean, like I, I remember as a little kid, one of my favorite things that my dad would make was beer can chickens uh, like every other week in the summer. And yes. I, I, he so always rich. loved to joke that he liked making them and ribs because he got to drink half a beer because he had to drink half the beer to put it in the chicken. I mean, that's true. That is one of the best benefits of being able to do things like beer can chicken or um, doing a beer braise, uh, doing a beer in a soup. I mean, there's just so many great excuses to just, you know, take a, take a few nips here and there. 
And I wanted to start out also kind of, you know, looking at some kind of myths that are with uh, cooking with beer. And the number one one that I hear when like I recommend to friends to braise something in beer or use beer in something that they have to use an expensive beer. Um, and I, I want to find out where you guys stand on this because I, I have my view, but I think there are some, some caveats to it. Um, so it- yeah, I was just going to say that I don't, I don't know that the price necessarily dictates whether or not I'm going to use a beer for something. Um, you know, obviously if I'm doing something that's more delicate, like, uh, you know, fish or, um, even some poultry, you know, I'll tend to, um, stick to something on the lighter side that has a bit more, um, maybe floral notes to it. Um, not necessarily an IPA, but, um, you could even go with like a, a wheat beer or something like that. Um, and then if I'm doing something that's a little more savory and bold in flavor, then I'll kind of kick up, uh, the beers that I'm using, but I don't necessarily think that a price tag comes into play. Yeah. Do you think that like domestic beer versus craft beer comes into play in your mind? Or if that's kind of like a situational basis kind of thing? Again, for me, it's it's really situational on what I'm I'm doing and and what I'm looking to accomplish. You know, like if I'm looking to deglaze my pan for a roast, and let's say um, accompanying that roast is some kind of a, a fruity glaze or something along that lines, I'm gonna pick a darker beer that has those similar notes to it. You know, maybe something that. Um, has the exact same flavor profile, but, or maybe just something that's similar to it. Like, um, I love the way that stouts, um, and like the cocoa that they put into it, just, it seems to play off the tongue when you reduce that down and, and thicken that into a sauce. So, um, I don't, again, I don't know if domestic or import is really where I'm going to, draw the line, but I'm sure there's a reason to do both. Well said. Gus, your view? Yeah. Uh, I'm pretty much going to be echoing a lot of similar sentiments that Ryan just listed here. Um, What I will say, though, uh, something that wasn't really touched on, um, I think, is the um kind of some of the taboo of cooking with expensive beer um i think there are certain folks who think that cooking with beer has a price cap more than a um more than a price floor and what i mean by that is that i've met a few people in craft beer who uh, who are into craft beer and who are in the industry itself, uh, who think that if you're using a beer that you spent, you know, let's say like $20 for a four pack on, that you're really just wasting that beer. Um, and I, I'm inclined to agree to a certain extent, but I think that there are some 
beers that have bold and complex enough flavors where they can really lend something unique and interesting to recipes. Uh, I'm going to use Hammerheart as an example here again. Uh, one of my favorite meals that I've made in recent memory, um, and I actually have this uh, on my Instagram uh, for anybody who's looking at, uh, at Twin Town Cooking. Um, and I made a beer braised short rib with a, uh, a mesquite smoked porter from Hammerheart called Laurentian. Um, and I've done this recipe before many times with Guinness when I worked at a Marriott hotel, uh, out in Portland, Oregon, when I was living out there. Uh, and it's, it was one of my favorite things to cook. I, I love the flavor of the Guinness and the creaminess that really kind of lent itself to, uh, bringing moisture into the meat. Um, but also when it cooked down the sugars on it, added a really nice kind of, uh, kind of cloying sweetness to it. Um, and I kind of copied that idea for this smoked mesquite porter. Uh, and the result for it was phenomenal. Uh, it, the smoked flavor in the mesquite really came through strongly on these short ribs. Um, the rich, dark chocolate cocoa flavors of the porter that were kind of the backbone of it uh, were fantastically displayed within the short rib. Um, and that was about, I want to say it was about a $16 four pack. And I know some people who would look at me and be like, how dare you cook with that? Like, how could you cook with such a nice beer? And a lot of times I have the response of, well, that's because it brings something interesting enough for me to do with it. Um, now, I can cook a beer can chicken with a can of PBR. That would be awesome. And, you know, PBR is certainly not an expensive beer. Um, but I'm also not gonna about to be sticking a, you know, five, six, seven dollar a can beer into a chicken um, <laughs> just to have a lot of that flavor cook out in the end. Right. So, that, yeah, I context really matters. That. that That's kind of the caveat I was looking at is it really depends on what you're doing with the beer. Again, my view, if you're using the beer, for instance, with this, this beer canned chicken, where it's not so much there for flavor, it's there one to tenderize the meat with the alcohol, breaking it down as it evaporates off and two for moisture. So in, in my view, the best beer to use for that is whatever cheap beer you have. Um, I, I wouldn't say necessarily cheaper is the cheaper is better. I might not go as, as low as like red dog. Um, cause I don't see any good use for red dog, uh, at Put in a good grain belt though. mustache. If you, uh, you disagree, but I, I guarantee you don't. Um, but yeah, like a good grain belt. Northeast is great. That that's even up there in price for what I would use in a beer can. I I'm a big fan of using uh Miller genuine draft in a beer can chicken. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. or just whatever kind of lighter colored beer that I have. So like, I don't really have IPAs around, but like wheat beers, stuff like that. And then once you get into like your more expensive craft beers, like uh, dragon's milk, for instance, where it is like that 12 to 15 bucks a four pack, 
um, it, it's more about preserving the integrity of your ingredient and showcasing it in the dish as opposed to having it be like a, I'm throwing this in. Um, so I think the, the caveat there is what your goal with the ingredient is. Is it in there to showcase its flavor and its, its usage in this? Or is it in there to, preserve, uh, to perform some like level of moisturization or tenderization in, in your meat or whatever you're cooking? Right. Well, and, and also let's not forget that um, sometimes novelty in and of itself is is worth what you're doing. You know, like um, there is always going to be something that is priced higher than, um, you know, something equivalent to it just based on the ingredients that you're using. And let's face it, Dragon's Milk has a sexier name than PBR, you know? Yeah. So yeah, dragon um, pancakes sounds a whole lot better than Paps Blue Ribbon pancakes. I mean, I don't know. That sounds like the Blue Ribbon's like some kind of award for how good of a pancake it is. So yeah, don't, don't count well, it out. Yeah, the Paps has never won a Blue Ribbon. If, if you if someone didn't know what Paps was, it wouldn't <laughs> matter. Yeah, but uh, so that's a great segue for the the talking about like the novelty of it. I have one I think you guys will enjoy. I call them beerberry pancakes. Um, yeah, um, and they I'm sorry, started what now. Yep. So I took a buttermilk pancake recipe. I removed the buttermilk from it and replaced it with blueberry pilsner. Um, I from now who? have the only way I will cook pancakes. Um, the only change I might make is add like a tablespoon of dehydrated milk but it doesn't really matter um, because that carbonation you get from the Pilsner, from the beer in there, it actually helps make a cakier pancake. It rises more, it's fluffier, it's a little bit more delicate. And oh my God, like I, I actually have a crowler of um, a blueberry, I think it's just a blueberry ale uh, in our cupboard for the next time I want to make pancakes because who is that from do you remember uh nope i made this going on three years ago in the restaurant for mother's day no no, no. i mean the one in your counter or, or the one in oh, your cabinet in, right in now. My cabinet not a clue uh it's actually fairly old and at the point that it's not good to drink and i'm a little afraid that it it might have gone i might have a sour blueberry ale oh quinn <laughs> For shame, sir. For shame. No, I honestly forgot it was in there. It got buried behind some spices. Um, so whoops. But Quinn forgetting something's there? Never. I, I also don't cook breakfast, mind you, uh, for myself ever. My wife cooks breakfast when we have breakfast on the weekends because she's awake. I don't wake up if I don't have to. Can confirm having been to multiple events with Quinn overnight that yes, this is in fact what happens. Yeah, five more minutes, 30 minutes later. Five more minutes. <laughs> Ultimate snooze champion. Oh, hell yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, Quinn, that I mean, that sounds absolutely amazing. And I mean, obviously it plays on uh the traditional aspect of putting fruit with your pancakes, uh, with the blueberry. Um, but I love the chemistry that you're bringing into it too, with, um, allowing the, 
the carbonation of the uh, the beer to be kind of that rising agent in your cakes. And um, it sounds absolutely amazing. And I might have to have you send me the recipe so that I can try that at home. Yeah, I will send that to you as soon as I dig it up or else just take your favorite pancake recipe and replace all liquid with beer or soda water. Soda water will do the same thing. You just won't get that added flavor. I really like using beer because you also get that graininess, which helps to add something more to it than just flour would. Um, Because personally, I'm not a big fan of like the general flavor you get from flour. Um, I'm I'm a really big fan of, uh, there's a movement now of reclaimed grains from uh, brewing beer and turning that into flour after the fact. Uh, I can't remember the name of the company, but there's one based in Minnesota, which is taking um, the spent grains from a number of different breweries and turning them into flour blends um, just for that added flavor that you get. That's awesome. Yeah, I mean, um, I love how just as we progress as uh, a society we keep coming up with new and interesting ways to reuse things you know that's super cool so speaking of new and interesting ways to use things and reuse uh i actually wanted to float this uh question to you guys and quinn's pancakes actually perfectly segue into this what do you guys think of using beer and desserts oh don't get me started ryan you go (laughs) Yeah, I mean, uh, so at the restaurant that I work at, we actually have a bakery manager who does um, all of our desserts from macarons to old cakes. Um, and so, what restaurant's that, Ryan? It's Jules Bistro in St. Cloud, Minnesota. Uh, we're right, right downtown by the Paramount. Um, you know, uh, so I don't have a whole a whole ton of experience um, doing bakery and sweets, uh, but our baker, um, our bakery manager Justine, is absolutely phenomenal. And like I said, when we do uh, wine dinners or beer dinners, um, you know, she always incorporates that um, sometimes into like a ganache or into the actual you know cake itself. And um, it's truly amazing how the flavors of the beer um, accent the the sweetness and um, kind of the mouth pleasure you get from a dessert because you're already excited. It's a dessert, but then the whole added layer of bringing in, you know, a nice creamy stout or something like that is just absolutely incredible. Yeah, I I think that cooking with beer is one of those cases where it's kind of a level up challenge wise compared to cooking with like a hard alcohol simply for the fact that a beer doesn't have the same density of flavor. Like you can't add a shot of it and expect it to come through like you would a shot of whiskey or a shot of brandy. And with that, when you use such a, a large volume, like it it kind of rules out in some cases like caramel, unless you're reducing it. Um, That is something I've done with like darker beers I like to do that with like a, a good coffee beer, I think makes a great caramel. Um, but you, you have to be careful that you're balancing it with something uh, because it, it can get pretty intense. 
Um, but I've I've actually made some cakes uh, inspired by my blueberry pilsner pancakes, where I substitute the liquid that goes into my cake batter with beer, and I found that that also works. Um, there there are certainly some challenges to making those kinds of just equal volume changes where you you can get cakes that don't really have the same kind of strength bonding together especially when you're replacing dairy um because that does help a little bit with like the bond between the different um i want to say compounds you know the word i'm thinking of The different ingredients, essentially, yes. Yeah, yeah, the different ingredients in there. Um, like, I've I've made a ganache before with, or sorry, a German buttercream that had a little bit of dragon's milk in it. Um, when I'm adding just a little bit, I tend towards generally the stronger tasting things, like like dragon's milk, like a, a surly darkness, like a hammer heart, or imperials, I think, are really good. What, what's your view, Gus? I, I love it. Uh, it's something I want to explore a lot more because I haven't gotten a whole lot of chances to try out recipes that have included beer in the dessert. But part of the reason why I brought this up um, was something that you touched on um, talking about uh, big porters and stouts. And Ryan, you touched on this a bit as well. Um, I had a customer come into uh, the store that I work at recently. Um, for those of you who listened to the last episode, I work at a liquor store um, as a second job, uh, Top 10 Liquors. So uh, if you're in Minnesota, uh, go to top10liquors.com and find your nearest location. We got some really awesome deals and stuff. And uh, I had a customer come in who was telling me about these brown, these chocolate stout brownies that his wife makes, Ooh, um, and specifically, yes. specifically though, a lot of people would think when you say that, what's the beer that you first think of when I say stout brownies? I mean, the first one I think of using is the Edmund Fitzgerald because that's the one I want to use, but probably Guinness. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah, so a lot of people would say Guinness, usually. Instead, he uses Samuel Smith's organic chocolate stout. Ooh, yeah. And that, to me, was a really interesting uh, kind of take on it. If anything, because uh, we are also starting to see a rise in, um, in organic ingredients in beers. And... We're starting to see a lot more beers that have fresh ingredients in them, um, whether that is, uh, you know, organic cacao or whether that's fresh fruit within a sour, um, even um, the practice of uh, fresh hop IPAs. Um, and I think the the uptick in using these fresh ingredients really lends themselves to cooking with beer. Uh, because I think it really makes those ingredients shine. And uh, there, 
I've had a couple ideas I've seen uh, suggested to me from friends of mine who cook for hobbies or for their living. Um, and I've seen a couple of friends of mine actually wrestle with the question of how to uh, how to make something with a sour. Um, oh, and oh, sour panna cotta. Panna cotta? Really now? I Tell me more about that. It's actually a recipe that I've been thinking about for a while is doing, um, Ryan, you might remember back at old capital, I did a kind of split level panna cotta where I did two separate panna cottas in one glass. And it was a standard like vanilla panna cotta, um, solidified diagonally in the glass with a raspberry panna cotta, uh, done in it. And so it, I don't think it would quite work the same way I want it to because I think you would have to introduce some kind of dairy into the sour beer, which curdling is my fear and why I haven't been able to, to pull the trigger on trying this yet. But I think that could be really cool, like a do a split level one or even if instead of being like a traditional panna cotta with cream, you have your one level of a creamy panna cotta and then you have a sour one on top. I think that could be good or it could go horribly wrong. Yeah. I mean, I guess if, and I haven't played around with it, so I could be completely wrong, but when, when I hear the word sour beer, which I do love sours, by the way, um, you know, kind of my go-to beer, if I'm out at a restaurant, I'll look at those first and then kind of move on. Um, gen generally to the stouts or even a good porter, but um, because you're getting the just the thought of sour, um, you know, citrus, I would think anything delicate like a fish or or maybe even some mussels, you know, yeah. pour your sour beer into the into the pan rather than like a a white wine, and allow that uh, moisture and the steam to open up those mussels and then also. Um, create some of that tangy, sour flavor that that you would get from using citrus instead. That in with like a shrimp um, to kind of simulate the flavor of a ceviche in a way, but not using it to cook the shrimp. Instead, using it to like impart that. I think that could be really good, like especially with shellfish like you're talking. Good topic, boys. I I was about to say, Ryan, I'm really glad that you mentioned the shellfish bit um, because part of the reason why I brought up uh, sour beer here was that there's a very, very interesting article on the Wall Street Journal, um, and it's from 2018, uh, so pretty recent. And it talks about, uh, basically, it's this author, uh, Jane Black, making the case for why you should cook with sour beer. Um, and specifically, she brings up mussels. No. Mm. Oh. And that she specifically she pairs that with Breton Mance beers, um, which is a hop that has come into popularity really only within the last 10 years, I'd say, maybe even closer, maybe closer. only really within the last like five or six, really. Um, but that's one way to go. Also, uh, the thing I want to try with sour beer is I want to try to make a pan sauce with sour beer, specifically yes. with a sour cherry beer. Yep. 
because it can act as a great deglazer for a pan. Um, and that's another great use of cooking with beer, by the way, um, and a great topic I think we should also touch on as well. Uh, what are your beers that you guys like to deglaze things with? When do you want to hop on this one first? Yeah, um, so beers I like to deglaze things with. Um, well, to be honest, it's whatever beer I have. I don't generally keep like certain ones around. Um, generally, it's a I like to use a darker beer if I'm using beef or pork. Um, if it's chicken, I go for one that like more like an ale, a pilsner, a um, hefeweizen for chicken and pork. I find pork is fine kind of both ways. Um, and another thing that I like to do is actually you can deglaze that pan. And I did this actually at the restaurant is then you use that reduction and do like a reduction of a beer and put that into a compound butter. And that, that can be pretty delicious. That's actually one that I, I think could be pretty good with a sour beer, reduce it and then mix it into a compound butter with like some cherries and, or raspberry but Ryan, what do you have some go-tos that you really like to use? Um, I'm a big fan of using Deschutes, uh, the Obsidian Stout. Yes, it's just oh, a yes. it's a it's a solid beer through and through, and I feel like um, I mean, without dumbing it down too much, I feel like almost anything that you put into the pan other than, you know, water or stock is just going to bring increased flavor. But, um, using a dark beer for me, um, is just bringing richness and flavor and, and it, you can get that with other things, but you're kind of going to end up with a lighter sauce as well. Um, so that's kind of like a, a go-to if I'm at home and I have it on hand. Um, trying to think of what else I've used a lot of. Honestly, uh, I've used a lot of Ripple from Beaver England, um, which is kind of like a German ale. Um, and I think other than that, um, most of them are going to be ones that, that you guys have tried as well. You know, your Guinnesses, um, you know, maybe even play around with using a darkness if I have one open on the weekend or something like that. But yeah, I, I want to go back to that German beer, Ryan, uh, because that is what I personally like using to deglaze pans is uh, German lagers, pilsners, kolsches, um, any German golden colored beer I find to be some of my favorite beer to not only to glaze with, just cook with in general. And I think part of the reason why is that um, a lot of times people will associate lagers and uh, pilsners and stuff like that kind of with beers that you would use in things like beer canned chicken, like we were talking about earlier. Beers that you're not worried about the flavor getting through, you're worried about it providing moisture. Um, German beers, though, to me at least, they hold up a lot better in terms of flavor when you're using them within cooking just because they seem to have a stronger malt backbone to them. Um, I completely agree. Yeah, and I actually want to, um, I kind of want to transition this into one of my favorite recipes that I personally uh, have done 
with uh with beer um which is beer braised whole chicken um now i did not do this by keeping the chicken intact uh i butchered the chicken prior um and i cut it up into you know legs thighs breasts um kind of the usual cuts that you'll see on a chicken and there is a a great recipe um from uh a chef uh named katie button uh, who put out this fantastic uh cookbook called karate um and karate does this really awesome um beer braised chicken um and it's in spanish style um so it's it's done with caramelized onion um and with um it's also done with like cilantro um and a little bit of citrus in there as well uh makes some mean tacos uh for leftovers and I found that my favorite beer to use with that recipe was Utapil's uh, Munich Hell's Lager. Um, and Utapil's is a German brewery out of Minneapolis, for those who are unfamiliar. Uh, if you have not checked them out and if you are in the area, I cannot recommend Utapil's enough. They're one of the only breweries where I am excited to drink a beer that is under 5 ABV. <laughs> because <laughs> I I don't know about you guys, but I find most of the time that once beer gets under five ABV, that a lot of the time the flavor is waning, <laughs> or it turns into uh, into something like just uh, almost a non-beer for people who don't like drinking beer in the first place. I I, I can see that. Um, so I want a quick transition over to end our episode just with kind of a, uh, a quick fire game for you guys to play. Uh, and I'm going to give you a usage for the beer. And I want you just to quick under a minute of what would you, how would you use it for this? And if you have a type of beer or a specific beer, um, you don't need a specific beer. Honestly, for our listeners, it might be easier if you don't. Um, because that lets them find something of a style of that type of beer that they could use in this application. Does that sound good with you guys? Sure. Let's do it. All right. Uh, so let's start with you, Ryan, and Brazing. Uh, let's see. I mean, I think if I was going to go brazen i would do something that's going to have rich caramel notes to it and something that's pretty high in sugar content um and just try to really bring out the the color of uh that beer as it's cooked um i guess a a roast would probably be a, a really nice use of that um so like uh, maybe like a pork roast. Um, I think by using both wet and dry heat, you're not gonna 
dry out your roast and you're going to bring a lot of that flavor into it, especially if you choose to marinate your meat in the beer and then maybe reserve some of that um, and spritz throughout the cooking process. But then also, uh, you know, throw that into a pan. You could even um, swap the reserves out for water um, when you caramelize your onions. So as you cook your onions and they're, you know, cooking low and slow and you've got that fond adhering to the pan, um, rather than just using a little bit of um, stock or water to deglaze and loosen up all that caramely goodness and soak into your onions, you could use some of that beer that you're using as well. Awesome. Um, and I probably should have touched on for some of our listeners who may not know what braising is. The general use of braising is so you put like a meat or a vegetable into a pan and you cover it halfway with whatever braising liquid you would use. Um, you can submerge it as well. There, I've seen some debate on what is best. Generally, I see the argument of don't fully submerge it or else then you're essentially boiling it in the beer. Right. Right. And I mean, I guess if I had to paint a picture um, for folks at home, you know, and this strikes true to me because when I was growing up, my mom um, did a lot of slow cooker um, cooking for us as a family. And so, you know, you would have your roast in there with the liquid going up about halfway and then just a bunch of really rough, uh, rough chopped vegetables, you know, your carrots, your onions, your celery, and just really let that cook low and slow and allow that moisture that's in the cooker to come up and then um, condensate against the lid and drip back down onto the meat, keeping it nice and moist and tender throughout the cooking process. So yeah, braising is awesome. 100% my favorite way to cook a, a, like a, a beef roast is braising some beer with some veggies. Oh, hell yeah. You know, technically, you know, when you cook mussels and you have the liquid in the pan, it's not covering the mussels and you put the lid on there and you're using the steam to open it up. That would be a type of braising as well. Yeah, that actually transitions perfectly to the one that uh, I was going to give to Gus, which was using beer as a simmering agent in a pan. Uh, So type of beer and what would you simmer in the beer? Type of beer and what I would simmer. Um. For simmering things, uh, I would usually think of something more stewish or soup-ish. Um, so you could either go with uh, with a good solid IPA with a nice hoppy backbone for a beer cheese soup, or uh, you could go with a, uh, a nice rich porter for a beef stew. Um, if you're going to use beer as the only liquid that you're simmering in, um, I might I might do some some vegetables with a with uh, with a lighter beer with that, and maybe just um, just try to do something with that. But usually, yeah, usually with simmering beer, usually I would add that into a larger collection of liquids that are already kind of on that temperature and level. Okay. Yeah. One of my thoughts was that you could use like um, essentially poach a piece of fish in like an IPA or a Hefeweizen. 
yeah, yeah, you absolutely could do that. Um, you could poach it like that. Uh, you could do that with chicken as well. Um, oh, yeah. And uh, maybe even, I would argue, actually, it would probably be pretty good with a, por- with a bone-in pork chop as well. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree. Probably throw a little bit of color on there, do a hard sear, and then add in your, your beer to simmer it in. Kind of like you would a like a a braise, but on a shorter term basis. Yeah, and that might be a good one to use a sour in because you could pair that. For example, uh, you could use uh, to use a beer that we have talked about in uh, a previous episode. You could use uh, Vape Tricks, the sour uh, ale aged on cherries from Prairie Artisan Ales, um, and use that in like a um, a pork, and instead of a brandied cherry, almost do kind of like a beer cherry. Kind of mm. sauce with it. Yeah, that sounds good to me. Um, so next, back to you, Ryan. Marinating. Um, I think, uh, although most beers would probably lend itself well to them, um, I think doing something like a nice German ale with um some chicken thighs in um with some just aromatic herbs you know probably some rosemary uh some thyme lots of garlic um when i know you're a fan of the garlic uh am i ever and then you know just keep the the flavors that you're using um bright you know maybe a small amount of acidity some lemon juice or even um just some some plain white vinegar just something to balance out the sugars that are going to be in the beer um and then i would probably just let that sit for maybe an hour um you know i i'm not a huge fan of over marinating food because i feel like it's difficult to control uh, how much flavor that um dish is is really absorbing from that and so i tend to go pretty easy with my marinades and then use that reserve liquid to then create a sauce or a you know a dipping um you know uh mechanism that i could use with uh the chicken and I mean, you could always um, baste it over as you're pan pan searing those thighs, getting that nice crust, and then you know throw some butter in there with some of that liquid and just let that um, be your your basting agent, if you will. Awesome, yeah, that I like that. And any particular protein that you said you would want to use for that? Well, uh, I guess in, you know, like I was giving in my example, chicken thighs. You know, I'm chicken a huge thighs, fan of the right, thighs. Right. Um, but, uh, again, I, I think it's more about putting the thought into, um, how delicate your protein or your, your food is. Um, and obviously trying to complement that well, you know, the, the reds are going to go with, um, you know, kind of sturdier, bolder flavors. Whereas I feel like fish or chicken, uh, is just going to really work well with kind of your more lighter colored beers, you know, your wheats, your, um, lagers. And I mean, I'm a huge fan of getting weird with food. You know, it's, it's not always something that works. Um, so most of the time when I really go off the reservation and 
get crazy with my um, culinary endeavors it's at home because i don't want to subject anyone to the end result but um you know i i fully encourage people to play around with different flavor profiles uh to take a an old classic or a staple and try and turn it on its head and and do something new and different with it and so um the biggest thing for me is that not so much what you're using but that you're uh, enjoying the process and enjoying the ride. Awesome. I think that's really good advice just in, in general, honestly, for life, but especially when it comes to cooking and even making cocktails is, you know, don't be afraid to, to take those challenges and, you know, have fun with it. It, everything doesn't have to be perfect in the end. Honestly, it's the lessons you take. Exactly. Um, and so, Moving back to Gus, Gus, I'm going to give you baking. So uh, we can you know, broadly speak, but, but baking, either savory or sweet. Okay. Well, uh, there is beer bread, um, which is a uh, common and popular Irish tradition in particular. Uh, Yes, that as well. Yes, so soda bread is the main soda bread's the main attraction, and beer bread is kind of like the uh the fun cousin that you get to hang out with every once in a while. (laughs) Uncle Um, Larry. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, well, except maybe a little less sleazy than Uncle Larry, but you know. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, uh, beer bread is a really good one uh, for the savory bits. Um, what I really want to try at one point, I don't know if this is possible. I would love to experiment with this at some point. I want to try to make a beer focaccia. Um, yeah, because uh, savory flavors of like a piney kind of beer, I think would go very nicely with like the rosemary savory aspects of a focaccia. Um so I would love to try that at some point, but that's just something I've just been kicking around in the long space between my ears. Uh, and for sweet, uh, chocolate. Chocolate, 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 and more chocolate. <laughs> um, that honestly to me is just the best way to go with, with desserts. Um, doing things like brownies or a lava cake um, or... If you are going to go something that isn't chocolate, I found a really interesting idea slash recipe for doing a a sour ale sorbet that I think would be very fun. And I'm going to give myself a softball one, which is going to be (laughs) battering. Um, And now, like, we've all heard of beer batters before, but using beer in a tempura batter, um, this is actually a trick that I learned from a cook that both Ryan and I worked with. Um, and it was using soda water in your tempura batters to, again, get that CO2 in there and releasing to make a slightly fluffier batter. And then along with that, you want to throw ice into that tempura batter. So it's ice cold as soon as you batter. And when you put that into your frying liquid, um, it actually allows it to crisp a little bit better. Um, and gets a whole lot less cakey, but allows that CO2 to escape and make it more of a, like a uh, 
a crisp sort of fluff as opposed to like a soft fluff. Um, and using like a, let's say an IPA uh, in it with like some tempura shrimp and then doing some tempura veggies alongside that. That sounds awesome, man. Mm, yeah, that, oh, I, I, well, I don't know about you guys, but anytime I see something that's beer battered on a menu, my eyes instantly turn into dinner plates. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, honestly, Quinn, I wonder how, um, you, you've probably had it. I don't know if you've had it recently, but, uh, mango cart. Yep. From golden road, you know, bringing some of that. Oh, great beer. Oh, that, that would be amazing as like the beer that you would use in that tempura batter with um, seafood in particular. I'm not so sure with like some veggies that you do with it, um, but I, I think that's worth playing around with and definitely could be pretty good. If you're doing veggies, I would do something uh, that lies on the sweeter side, like bell peppers and even like yellow onion, something yes. that uh, has sugars in it. Um, and so that brings us to the end of our show, Ryan, thank you so much. And, uh, I'd like to give you an opportunity to like any final shout outs, bits of advice, um, that you have for our listeners. Oh, it looks like we might be having some technical issues. Um, let's see if we can get Ryan back here. Uh, Gus, in the meantime, uh, any any shout-outs you have for our listeners and bits of advice? Yeah. Um, so, first off, uh, thank you so much, Quinn, for uh, inviting me back onto the show. I love being back on here. Uh Love getting the chance to hang out with you and talk beer and all of that fun stuff. Um, so, uh, for anybody who is looking to cook with beer, um, I would actually highly recommend going on to uh, a great cooking food blog that has a lot of uh, cooks and authors uh, near and dear to my cooking heart uh, called Serious Eats. Um, they have a great list of 14 recipes with stouts, IPAs, uh, and more. And they have a lot of really good stuff, um, ranging from uh, red striped beer chicken to beer braised ribs to lamb stew with poppy seed dumplings, um, cheesy beer bread. Uh, so if you're looking for any inspirations, uh, Go on to seriouseats.com uh, and, you know, or even just look and Google uh, cooking with beer and you'll probably find it as one of your top results. Otherwise, uh, uh, seriouseats.com, right? Yep, seriouseats.com. Uh, awesome. And it yep. looks like we have Ryan back in. So, Ryan, um, yes. uh, any final bits of advice and shout outs you want to give to our listeners here in the last? Um, just cup like minute or so. Sure. Um, well, first of all, I want to say thank you for having me on. Uh, when you asked me to 
be a guest on the podcast, I was initially pretty nervous because although I enjoy uh, most kinds of alcohol, um, I don't really feel that I was uh, a subject matter expert. So I appreciate you for picking cooking since that is something that I definitely have some some sway in. Um, and while listening to the show leading up to tonight, uh, I just want to say I think you guys are doing a fantastic job. Uh, you carry conversations very well. I actually haven't listened to the episode that Gus is on, so I'm now going to go back and listen to that so that I can get some context. But um, it has been an absolute pleasure. And for anyone who's listening at home who is worried about trying something because they're just not sure whether or not it's going to work out, um, don't listen to that little voice in your head. You know, if you're really that nervous about it, hop online, do a little bit of research. But, um, you know, from where from where I stand, Pretty much anything you're going to use liquid for in cooking, you could probably use a beer or a wine or a spirit. So um, definitely just think outside the box and have fun. Awesome. I think that's awesome advice to give and appreciate the, the little compliment. And our our three listeners might agree with you. Uh, not sure. Let us know. Um, hashtag no one's a sponsor. We, we do this pro bono. Um, <laughs> And that will bring us to the end of our episode. Like Andrew says every week, if you or a loved one is struggling with addiction, that is nothing to be ashamed about. And please, please call 1-800-662-HELP. Again, that's 1-800-662-4357. It's open 24 hours a day and... You know, the best thing you can do is to take care of yourself and to take care of your loved ones. And if you or a loved one you know is experiencing problems with addiction or alcoholism, please reach out. It doesn't make you a, a weak person or anything. It, it's just about taking care of yourself and making sure you and your family are in a good place. But on that note, have a great week and we'll talk to you again next week. See ya.